0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I could only find four that I really wanted to buy, <laughs> and the Edmund Fitzgerald was one of the four. And I'm like, if I'm not if I can't find two more that I really want, I'm just not going to buy the six pack. So yeah,
0: yeah, sure. <laughs>
1: got to put it. So I passed over it yesterday.
0: Yeah, that is one of my regular uh, beers in the fridge. I've almost always got some Edmund Fitzgerald. That's good stuff.
2: Well, cool. Um, so we already did like a little intro before this. We have already. <laughs> recorded like a half hour where we were talking about the beers we were drinking and do a little beer geekery stuff so okay um chad i'll let you go ahead and do the interview dude or did he, not <laughs> the said, interview yeah i'm gonna walk away <laughs> do i'm do gonna the... go no i'm joking yeah i was gonna say where are you going i'm in the intro it's what i meant i'm staying here <laughs> <laughs> i gotta do the technical stuff on this
1: end you'd be lost <laughs> all right uh, are we recording yeah yeah all right. i got that part thanks yeah okay good <laughs> I welcome back, everybody. We have uh, David Nilsen with us, who is a beer writer and educator. We're going to ask him some questions tonight about his uh, career in the beer industry and uh, more specifically the Cicerone program, but uh, I want to say welcome, David. How are you doing tonight?
0: I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, thanks for joining <laughs> us. Um,
2: and we're pronouncing it right. Nilsson, right?
0: Yes, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. <laughs> kind of an unusual spelling, but pretty well, normal pronunciation.
2: Have, have you Googled your name?
0: Uh, oh, we're going to start with this? We're going to come right out of the gate <laughs> with this one. I, I have, well, I actually have a Google Alert set up for my name, so uh, I have found some interesting people who share it from yeah. time to time popping up in the news.
2: Yeah, so the first one, uh, I was going to your website, and for whatever reason, I just didn't remember it's davidnielsenbeard.com. I just typed in uh, David Nielsen, and the first thing that came up was Dennis Nielsen, who was uh-huh. a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh okay, well no, that's not the right person. So it's a serial, right. serial killer in London. Well, so
0: Well, what's what's funny, uh or not funny, I guess, uh is that I had an uncle uh who was actually named Dennis Nillard. Oh, uh, really? He he yeah, he passed away a few years ago, but uh yeah, we did not know about his namesake at the time. Yeah. He wasn't in
2: <laughs> London in the 70s, was he? Cuz that's when <laughs> Not that I know. of <laughs> Well, that's good. That's good. Um, so I mean, really, how did you well I guess is this your full-time job? Is doing it is. the beer? Yes, okay.
0: I, I write and speak about beer for a living. That's that's the dream right there, kids. That's the uh, dream. absolutely how, yeah, did
2: get, just, how did you get how did you get into that?
0: Uh it's a lot of fun, but it's also a ton of work. I don't think I've ever worked harder in my life than I have since I started working for myself. Uh, I like to joke that my boss is a real asshole. He doesn't let me get away. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, what did you, what did you do before you got into the? I mean, we'll talk about what you're doing now. But, but I always like I'm always interested to know what people did before their their current, uh, um, you know, not not, I want to say a position, but it's your your own employment in the beer industry.
0: Right. Uh, well, I wasn't professionally involved in beer before I started doing this. I've worked a variety of jobs, uh, never actually finished college, so just kind of picked up jobs in my 20s, uh, worked at a bank doing completely soul-sucking IT work for close <laughs> to a decade. Hey,
2: that's me. I do soul-sucking IT work as well. Yeah, that's what I do right now. <laughs> I feel Cheers,
1: you. man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Have another drink.
2: Yeah, anyway, and to all my coworkers um, were listening, I don't mean it about this job. That's a
0: different. No, of course not. Uh, so then, after that, uh, that that honestly became a little too much. Uh, so I left and uh, started working at a library. Um, started doing like adult programming for them and uh, led a, a classic film series and uh, started. Um, you know, I was into beer, of course, and uh, learning all about it, and uh, started a small tasting program there at the library and then a few months later I uh, decided that I was uh, it, it was time to move on and kind of uh start doing start working for myself and uh so I left the library at the end of uh 2016 the beginning of 2017 and started doing this full time
1: but you've been doing um you've, you've, you've been involved for what on your website says 10 years.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I've been, uh, casually involved in the sense that, uh, I've been, um, you know, doing some beer writing, uh, limited beer writing and, and limited events for, uh, several years, but not, I kind of just as a, a little side thing, I've mostly, um, hit the ground running about three years ago, starting to pick this up more intensely.
2: And when you say you were into beer while you are working at the library, were you mm-hmm. just drinking as much as you could? Or <laughs> Were you homebrewing? Were you, what, what were you, what were you doing?
0: Uh, well, of course we're all drinking as much as we can, exactly. uh, yeah. but, um, along with that, I mean, any, any interest that I've ever picked up, whether that's been professional or, um, just for my own edification, i always kind of dove in on the intellectual end of it and wanted to consume as much knowledge as I possibly could. So uh, I don't really pick up hobbies or interest and just sort of toy around with them. I tend to really dive in and uh, do as much reading and absorb as much as I possibly can. So um, I was always kind of coming at it as a student of beer, even when I wasn't heavily involved in it from a um, say a vocational standpoint.
1: Great. What um we well, you, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but oh boy. I already <laughs> asked, him, I already asked about I'm, a serial killer I'm,
2: family. What do you want, man?
1: Jeez. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious about how old you are because the Cicerone <laughs> the Cicerone certification process is, is I mean it's not obviously not age dependent, but I, I wonder how your how your tastes were at whatever age you got your Cicerone certification. <clears throat> And sure. then what what are they now? So, if you, you just want to say how old you were when you got your sister in certification,
0: well, I just got it a couple of years ago, honestly. So I'm uh, I'm turning thirty seven <laughs> next week, uh, so okay. I was thirty four uh, when I got my certification. Such a young whippersnapper! Look at that, Jeez. <laughs> So yeah. my, as far as my tastes, um, I don't know that they. have changed all that much i think my interests in craft beer have kind of gotten more specific uh, in that time um you know i i got into craft beer drinking it probably 12 to 15 years ago Um, i never really went through much of a um you know cheap 24 pack lager phase like most people did and then then had to wean off of that onto real beer Um, (laughs) i kind of jumped right in i like much of the country i had kind of a bad perception of beer for a while and assumed it was just this cheap drink. And uh, so instead of drinking shitty beer, I drank shitty wine at the time. Um, <laughs> yep. And then uh, started drinking uh, craft beer kind of right around when I came of legal drinking age. And um, and then about uh, seven or eight years ago, started really picking it up more seriously and trying to uh, do what I was talking about being more of a student of beer. and understand styles and all that different stuff, Uh, just in the last couple of years. And this has really come about, especially as I've been working, uh, in beer professionally, I've gotten some really specific interests with that. And they go along with trying to get people to understand that beer is a drink that deserves respect. It deserves a place at the table, uh, with wine and spirits. Uh, so I've been really interested in beer, um, as an agricultural product for one thing. I live in a small town in a primarily agricultural county. Uh, We don't, we have one brewery that just opened last summer. Uh, Otherwise our closest breweries are about 45 minutes away. So uh, doing events right here in this county and I do them farther afield, uh, but doing them right here in the county, uh, most of the people who attend these events are pretty new to beer Uh, and uh, aren't coming at this with a whole lot of previous experience. And so um, I had anticipated there being a whole lot of hand holding that needed to happen with that. Uh, and what I've been surprised with is that a lot of the vocabulary that we use, uh, the sensory vocabulary we use for some of our beers, particularly when you get into uh, sours and farmhouse ales and some of the, really some of these more prestige type of styles. A lot of the sensory vocabulary for those is inherently rural and agricultural. And um, as I've been presenting those beers to folks around here, I've been really pleasantly surprised that they are very readily able to pick up a lot of aroma and flavor descriptors that uh, folks in larger population areas where I do events maybe aren't quite so prepared to, even though they've been drinking craft beer for longer. Um, So I've really been interested in uh, that aspect of beer, particularly because craft beer has grown in popularity so much in cities, uh, but the ingredients are grown on farms. And there's this disconnect between where um, craft beer is popular and where its ingredients come from. And being able to bridge that a little bit with that uh, sensory vocabulary has been really exciting. So that's something that's come up just in the last uh, couple of years for me.
2: Yeah, and I think actually I mean that's a disconnect almost in all of our food production, really. You know, people yeah, people yeah, have no idea where their food's coming from. Uh we're so far removed from farms, majority of the country is. You know, for me it's probably twenty minute drive and I'll see a farm. Uh for me, maybe a little less than that. But that's really interesting. Um and so the people that you're you're now that you're that you're talking about, are they are they mostly then they're mostly rural
0: families? Uh, Yeah, primarily. So I live about a little under an hour from Dayton, which is a pretty good sized city, a little under a a million people in the metro area. Um, And so I do a lot of events down there in and around the city. uh, But then I do, again, a lot of events up here in the county. And when I do them up here, um, they're either from a very small town or they actually live out in the country. So uh, craft beer has not been marketed to them. Right. That's
2: that's what I was thinking. Like that's not really the the craft beer market so much. So what, what is their, um, well, I'll I'll say, I know for me, some family that I have that are more rural, uh, Mm -hmm. not like I'm a city slicker or anything. I don't know what I mean by that, but, um, (laughs) they, they turn their nose up at craft beer. It's, it's not, and, but I, but all they think of is an IPA they think of bitter. Right. They think of, you know, those type of, of beers and they're used to, you know, the, the Miller Lite, Coors light type having that yeah. in their diet all the time. So what yeah, what are your, those, the initial reactions of people when you, when you present yeah, with
0: Yeah. So those, and those beers, those uh, macro brands still dominate here yeah. in the, in the County. Yeah. Uh, the few craft breweries that have come in uh, into this rural area. And again, we only have the one right here in our County. There's a county north of us, though, and this is kind of one of the weird uh, aspects of sociological history around here. The county north of us is predominantly German Catholic. It was heavily settled by German immigrants uh, in the 1800s, more so than our county here, even though it's only a half hour drive, Uh, and they drink a lot more beer up there. So they've got Hmm. three uh, breweries that are pretty well established uh, just in that rural county that, you know, you wouldn't even know you crossed the line. Both of them are primarily agricultural. Uh, But those three breweries have been able to thrive up there, but they're primarily thriving on sort of uh, older generation craft styles. So pale ales and porters and uh, cream ale and some uh, not too challenging IPAs and milk stouts. And they're not really pushing the boundaries too much with uh, the current craft beer trends. And they've been able to survive uh, from their local drinkers on those Mm -hmm. types of styles. So here in uh, in our county, while we don't have any breweries uh, really uh, piggybacking on that, the same sorts of trends uh, sort of dominate. So the handful of restaurants and bars that are able to stock a good selection of craft beer and maybe have a dozen or so taps or something like that uh they're primarily running on sort of those classic craft styles and sort of easing people in that way that said um you know it's it's a small place and the fact that i do a lot of events has pulled along a certain group of people so you're starting to get more acceptance of um newer wave ipas and, and belgian styles and some um Session strength, sour stuff. Uh, We're still kind of trying to get people used to the more prestigious sours and things like that. But uh, definitely the county is still dominated by those macro brands. Um, But you're starting to see more inroads. Um, Dayton, about an hour away, has a fantastic and, frankly, underrated uh, beer scene. Uh, Close to 20 breweries there in the city. And um, people are starting to head down there more and kind of get their fix on those breweries and uh, even if they live up here. So things are starting to change. Um, There's a brewery over in Columbus, which is about two hours away from us called North High. Uh, And they recently, um, just a couple months ago, released a beer in collaboration with the Ohio Farm Bureau, and they're going to be releasing it all year round. Uh, This is the 100th anniversary for the Farm Bureau that uh, supports farmers around the state. And it's this super low strength, like 4%, uh, sessionable blonde ale, not real challenging. And that beer is getting pushed out into rural markets that have never even considered craft beer because of its tie-in with the Farm Bureau. So there's like these rural grocery stores that sell nothing but Coors Light and and, and Milk that are selling out of cases of this beer from a Columbus craft brewery just because of that tie-in. So there's definitely uh, an availability there for people to start picking out better beer, um, I've always thought it was, um, ironic in the worst possible way that, uh, rural hardworking, uh, blue collar folks who are farming the ground believe that a beer from Anheuser busch represents them in some way. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the beers that are from smaller businesses that are struggling along just like you are that are, uh, hopefully supporting a better form of agriculture those beers should be representing you and trying to get people to recognize that is a challenge, but it's happening slowly.
2: Do you think that's a st- sticker shock though? Like, you know, you, you can go in and you can buy a case of, of Bud Light for, you know, 14 bucks. And you know, there's some six packs of craft beer you can't even touch for under 12.
0: Yeah. You know? I, yes. I mean, I, I think it has to be on some level, but I don't, I think that's something more to hide behind. I don't yeah. think that's actually a barrier uh, in the way that it sometimes get, gets held up as uh, because if they're drinking bourbon or wine or something yeah, else like that, point. they're yeah. certainly paying that. That's true. Uh So I think it kind of gets held up a little bit as like this, you know, oh, it costs too much, but no, it doesn't really. I mean, right. it costs a little bit more. It's still the most affordable option if you're drinking alcohol.
1: For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a valid point. I mean, you spend uh $14, $15 to get a decent bottle of, of local wine mm-hmm. and you're getting 750 milliliters, which is three glasses typically. Right. Maybe four if you, if well, you're two for not, you, You got a big glass. <laughs> two for me. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I mean, as far as the amount you get for your money, uh, yeah, it still is. It still is a, a great value. Yeah. You brought up an, an interesting point when you were talking there about the, the rural um, breweries that are in that county north of you,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> and uh, the and the fact that they aren't really stretching their legs to see what else they could they could brew. I mean, they're they're sticking with the the traditional stuff, <clears throat> and I'm I'm very, I'm very guilty of this, um, but I never really gave it a thought. Like if we go to a brewery in the Milwaukee or or North Chicago area, I'm not. Now this has changed. started to change a little bit recently, but in the past year or so I would, I would never go for a beer that they have labeled on their menu as a lager or um, even an Oktoberfest. I'm not even really that. I, I've never, haven't been interested in Oktoberfest, which is a, is a old, you know, marzan mm-hmm. and these, these traditional beers that are, are being enjoyed by, Uh, a a rural rural area just would not that type of brewery just would not wouldn't wouldn't honestly wouldn't make it. And it's not to say (laughs) it's um, it's great for for where they're at. But if you put a brewery like that in in a more urban environment, um, I I can't imagine that they would be successful because you have to have some uh, a variety of newer styles and something that people have never heard of before because they're going to the brewery to have an experience and new styles are, are something that's a part of that experience. And it is, it's certainly, it's been the way it's been for me. If I see something on a menu and I, I've never, oh, I've never heard of the style before I got to try that.
0: Right. You right. know,
1: I'm, I'm definitely going to go for that over the, the traditional porters or, uh, or, uh you know, cream ales or, you know, name your traditional flavor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We just had, you know, we just finished up flagship February, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, and that came about specifically because a beer writer recognized that all of these, uh, heritage craft brands were flagging a bit, uh, you know, and, uh, they're still great beers, but they're not new and they're not always exciting. Uh, you know, I absolutely love Sierra Nevada pale ale and I'll drink it uh, as often as I can, but, When you're going into a bottle shop and there's, you know, a thousand different bottles, well, I know what Sierra Nevada Pale Ale tastes like. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know what this other beer over here tastes like, so I'm going to get that maybe. And um, there's a balancing point. You know, craft beer has, from the beginning, been about both reviving uh, traditions, but also innovating and pushing boundaries. And uh, doing too much of one at the expense of the other creates problems in either direction. So you need those classic styles. You need well-made examples of those beers. You also need to innovate and create new flavors and and find where those uh, frontiers of, uh, of beer are. So um, doing too much of one or the other uh, is not healthy for the industry as a whole. It's not healthy for us as drinkers. We need to be able to keep those things in balance. And uh, here where we are right. in the, this rural area, um, we're still trying to establish what those classics are, even are because for us, a pale ale is old news uh, for, for someone just coming to this, a pale ale is what pale ale was for us a couple decades ago, yeah. you know? So uh, there's a balance to be found there for sure.
1: Yeah. And I, I mentioned that my my profile, what I look for is, is started to change and you brought up the, the classic, the renewing the the classic um, styles. And that's something that just recently in the last few months, um, I've definitely come back around to being interested in because it was pretty much all, you know, barrel aged beers last year. As as me me and Adam and Jake, our our podcast was pretty much based on, on barrel aging and we still love those beers, but I'm I'm kind of starting to swing back a little bit. I think we overcorrected just a little bit. <laughs> sure. I'm kind of starting to swing back the other way. And recently, I've been, I've just been looking for, um, uh, you know, traditional craft pilsners and lagers. I've got several different varieties in my refrigerator right now.
2: Um, well, you're on you're on the hunt right now to find I'm, find one <laughs> that would compare with these these macro guys, right? On
1: yeah, specifically yeah. Miller Lite. I mean, that's that's the local macro here. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't mind a a Miller Lite on a, you know, if it's a hot day, it's refreshing, it's crisp, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a bad beer, Mm -hmm. but I, I've been on a mission to find a craft equivalent that's not like, um, too far, like over the top with flavor to where Mm -hmm. you lose that refreshing, crisp taste, you know, or something that's not just completely uh, on the other side, watered down, so. Uh, it's been interesting, you know, to try and come back around to that that uh, that style of beer after having been away from, like, not even showing an interest in it in the last couple of years.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, and I think that's kind of in the nature of uh, trends within mm-hmm. craft beer. I mean, we're seeing that uh, across the industry with, you know, New England IPA and to a lesser extent, something like brewed IPA. You know, it, everybody chases... Uh, whatever the new thing is and it, it happens at the expense of beers that taste really fucking good they're just not new and exciting you know right. and uh, yeah. but with uh with the loggers you know we're starting to see well not even starting we are in the middle of a, a resurgence of those and I don't think that's really a trend I've I've uh, expressed it a few places that I um I think that is more a natural maturation of the uh, the segment of craft beer in general the uh, The aversion that we had to lager for several decades was always somewhat artificial because it was mm-hmm. about a rebellion against what beer had been forced to be in this country for you know half a century before that. And so when craft beer came about well, we're not going to do that. We're going to make all these, you know, big flavorful (laughs) ales. And that was always, you know, that was probably important for a little while, but it was always somewhat artificial because lager tastes really good. And so at some point we were all going to figure out that the liquid wasn't the problem. It was, um, you know, a a scorched earth uh, business plan for 50 years that wiped out all flavorful beer in the country and happened to leave us with these uh, light loggers. The, the the beer itself wasn't the problem. So uh, we're starting to get all those, uh, you know, light, easier drinking loggers back. And I'm thrilled about it. And I think that that's going to stick around uh, for a long time.
2: Yeah, it does seem like that trend for sure. Lagers. You see a lot more craft loggers, you know, craft breweries putting out the loggers. And we, we've talked to a couple, um, well, we've talked to, uh, head brewer of, of Three Sheeps up in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And and we've seen it also with other brewers and even in other beer articles, but the other trend happening now is the lower ABV going to something more sessionable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and if Jake were here, he'd be crying and moaning right now because he is, <laughs> he chases the highest ABV possible, and as a matter of fact, he won't buy a beer if it's not above a certain ABV for the most part. So, wow. um,
1: <laughs> for the most part, yeah, for the
2: most part, he will he will he will rate a beer lower because the ABV is too low for him. So, <laughs> that's um, too bad for him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, uh, that is an interesting trend, though. I mean, that's it's. I mean, it's it's a way to try and keep similar flavors to beers you've made in the past, but make it uh, so you're not just going to the brewery and having one.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know so they're bringing down like uh the the example here that we're talking about is is a beer called veneration and it was a 13.6 i think
2: yeah years past yeah
1: in years past and now it's down to 10 and you know the flavor is still there but it's a little bit different and that's that was what they're trying to go for is is uh have somebody come in on a thursday night and not order just one veneration you want them to sit there and have a couple and then make that you know go towards something else so
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, strong beers can be a ton of fun and they can be delicious, but so can those low strength beers. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm a little past the age of thinking it's just a ton of fun to get absolutely drunk and then pay for it the next day. Yeah. Uh, so being able to have a long evening where I can have multiple beers and not feel like garbage the next day is a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: well, what, what I've discovered is as you get older, you do not recover from those hangovers as nearly right. as well as you right. used to.
1: Um, yeah, well, and Ad, Adam and I are both in our early forties. Yeah, um, Jake Jake is a little bit behind us, but he's starting. To, he's starting to to think a little bit different too. I think I'm not going to speak for him, but no, I mean we we all love to drink our alcohol, but <laughs> well,
2: know, wait, well, we used to take you, you know, run out get the McDonald's, get the greasy breakfast, and you're over it and you're fine. Now it's like no, I'm in bed all day. I'm not getting <laughs> to bed today. It's just not.
0: It's not fun. <laughs> no, you know? it's like, not. Not worth it. And honestly, all it really takes is just being a little smarter and slowing down a little bit, Uh, you know, have one or two fewer drinks uh, across the course of a long evening and, you know, enjoy those lower strength beers. It's not like you have to become a prude and and go down to one beer or something, but just be smart. Don't be, you're you're not 23 anymore. Don't be. (laughs) Exactly right.
2: Now you mentioned, you mentioned the Brute IPAs. That, That is one that I've been really liking I've been, whenever I find a different one in the store, I usually will try to grab it. Cause that's, I've, I've been liking them so far. Um, and I've read some people say, well, it's, it's going to be a very quick fad. It won't last very long at all. Some people said, no, it's here for a long time. What What's your take on the brute kind of
0: sure phase. So, you know, brute came in, uh, sort of right behind the bigger wave of new England IPA that, you know, rushed across the country in the last year or two. Um, I think the New England IPAs, while I, I don't know that we definitely have them forever, at least not at the uh, the pace we do now, I think they have some more staying power. I do think the brewed IPAs we will probably see recede a little bit more quietly uh, in the next year or two. I don't think they're going to go away. Somebody's going to keep brewing one. Yeah. Um, but I think that the most interesting thing about brewed IPA is um, what it can tell us about uh, how mouthfeel influences flavor. I think it's useful as a sensory tool. Uh, you know, you've got the exact same hopping rate in this beer, but it's, uh, you know, an almost uh, uh, gravity of, of of one, you know, mm. finishing gravity of like 1.00 or whatever, uh, versus you have an IPA that's got a more classic malt profile with the exact same hop rate. How do you perceive those flavors differently? I think that's interesting. But in terms of the long-term lasting power of the, the style, I don't know that we're talking about brewed IPAs much in two or three years. Um, There'll still be some around, but uh, I don't think they probably have the ability to woo uh, new craft drinkers in the way that new England IPAs have brought in some people that maybe weren't into craft before. Um, I think it's, it's an inherently uh, more esoteric style. You know, it's, it's very dry. It's very crisp. If people like champagne, they're going to drink champagne. If people like, uh, dry, you know, light lager. They're gonna drink dry light lager. I don't think Brute IPA brings a whole lot of new people in, and I don't think it probably controls enough uh, beer geeks attention once the next shiny thing comes along for it to actually <laughs> hold its place. So yeah. I they're, the good I mean, it's like any style. The good examples are good. the bad examples are bad. Yeah. Um, and I think we probably have fewer examples as a whole uh, two or three years from now.
2: Yeah, and I I was actually on our last episode. I talked about this. I, I recently went to a, um, you know, a, what, what am I? The beer fair? What am I? Beer I f- beer fest? Beer fest? That's, that's beer <laughs> fair. Why am I thinking beer fair? It was on the fairgrounds, um, <laughs> but but I I've been to several before, but this is one of the larger ones. It's in it's in my county here, and it was pretty big. And what I at the end of the night, it was my wife and another another couple, and we were driving home and we all kind of made the the kind of realization when you, when you go side by side with these breweries and there were, there were everything from, you know, Revoli, revolution brewing a larger brewery in Chicago to you yeah. Miller, Miller was there too. But then you got these really, really tiny, like ones I hadn't even heard of. that were apparently in the County I didn't even know about. And when you go side by side with those, you quickly realize why those breweries that are medium to larger size are that way. And why those small guys are that way. The the taste is just so dramatically different between those different breweries. And, um, you know, like you you had said, you know, with the brewed IPAs, they make a good one, they make a good one. Um, It it was a, to me it was a surprise because I really hadn't done that before where I just went table to table and kind of had beers from everybody. The, The taste was just missing from these small guys, whereas kind of medium operators to the larger ones are more well-known where and they get to the
1: point where they know, really know what they're doing. Yeah, that's true too.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are definitely plenty of small breweries that uh, are putting out phenomenal Mm -hmm. beer. It has that we have a lot of breweries uh, that aren't good. And it's a thing that's just starting to get talked about much, Uh, you know, for a long time, uh, nobody wanted to acknowledge that not all craft beer was good right. uh, because we were just so excited about the variety.
2: That was very taboo um, to talk about. <laughs> yeah,
0: but that. it's, it's not anymore. Yeah. Uh, and it's starting, we're going to see a really painful maturation of the market in the next half a decade, I think, where you're going to start getting some subpar breweries dropping out. Um, because, you know, people have, uh, folks have been, um, worried about the the bubble bursting and reaching saturation point and all that for, for years. I don't think we're there, but I do think we're at the point where it's going to become more and more difficult to sell bad beer. Uh, and it's, it's almost comical that to say something like that, you know, it it should have always been hard to sell bad beer, but it wasn't, um, you're going to start seeing breweries that don't sell good beer that, uh, can no longer compete unless they are in an isolated area where they have a dedicated uh, you know, town or neighborhood where they're the brewery, and then it'll take longer for that yeah. to happen. You're also gonna start seeing, uh, on, and, and it's gonna be painful, I think you're gonna see some of those uh, more mid-size craft breweries that um, have operated for a long time on what is now a uh, somewhat outmoded and uh, clumsy distribution model and they're not able to uh, retract and reorganize with the agility that they need to to get into a market where the days of uh, of wide distribution are long over, and some of them are going to close. And it's going to really fucking suck, but it's going to happen. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what, what about, what do you see happening with... Um you know, the, the big guys, you know, the ABN Bebs coming in and swooping up more of like our beloved goose Island, you know, the big, the bigger ones. I mean, is that, is that a trend that, you know, the, the way I'm thinking of it is either the, the big fish are going to keep swallowing the medium fish or some of these medium guys are going to come and maybe start buying some of these smaller guys, but we're going to see a consolidation.
0: I mean, I, obviously I, I don't know who knows what ABN wants to do. Right, I think, yeah. I don't know if they know all the time either. So uh, yeah, well, yeah, I, I <laughs> know you guys interviewed, uh, recently. Yeah. You interviewed Josh Noel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you read his book, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't sound like they always knew what they were doing when they were doing it. Yeah, not but, at all.
2: They had no idea. <laughs>
0: um, I don't know. I, it sure seems like they've slowed down on um, buying stuff. Like maybe they're going to sit pat for a little while, but I don't know and i go back and forth on my stuff with them um i don't agree with the idea that uh what's in the glass is all that matters i think there's more that that matters than that but um i don't know what they're going to do and honestly i've tried to stop worrying about what they're going to do um i do what you said there at the end about the uh, bigger craft breweries making acquisitions i think we probably will start seeing some more of that i mean we just in the last few years we've seen some mergers, you know, Victory and Southern Tier uh, came together and uh, you've got um, Oscar Blue's little consortium. I forget what that's called. Um, Sierra Nevada just bought, made their first acquisition. They just bought um, uh, some little brewery I never even heard of uh, out there, but uh, I think we'll be seeing more of that. And it's going to come in a couple different ways. One, where uh, larger or mid-sized craft breweries that are feeling some of the distribution pinch that I just talked about, realize that they need to make a purchase in order to uh, preserve some of their market in some places or in order to strategically position themselves in some way. And then at this, on the flip side of that, those same size breweries that um, got themselves in too deep of a hole to be able to get out of it are going to have to look at mergers in order to, uh, to hold their place. And so we'll be seeing that. Um, I I couldn't even begin to uh, prognosticate on what those will exactly be. But I would say in the next few years, we'll be seeing more of those smaller purchases and mergers between breweries.
1: Yeah, I I I think it's probably just a natural progression of things. You know, it's natural progression of the business, really. Yeah, the point. business, the way the business yeah. can work. Um, I'd like to talk about the Cicerone program a little bit.
0: Um, yeah, for sure.
1: I, I don't know how much time you've, you've got,
0: um, uh, I'm good. I, am not sure how long you guys got to go, but I, I don't have anything planned after this, so we can talk. <laughs> okay. We, we try online. to keep
1: the interviews around, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. So I just, I didn't sure. know if, uh, you know, we're getting to be about 40, 40 minutes or so now, but so when you, uh, when you decided to do Adam, did you have any other questions before we dive into this? Well, this
2: I was going to actually say first, if we could. Explain, David, if you could explain what Cicerone is for some people who may have no idea what we're what we're talking yeah, sure. about. What is the yeah, a Cisron certification? Idea. Good place to start.
0: Yeah. So the Cisron certification program was started a little over a decade ago, I believe. They launched in two thousand eight. Uh, Ray Daniels, who's just kind of a uh, industry uh, guru, jack of all trades, he started that, uh, and. It was basically started to provide for beer what the Court of Master Sommeliers provides for wine. So uh, it's a certification program that uh, vets beer industry professionals on their knowledge, so that uh, when they are then guiding consumers or hiring into companies, uh, the folks on the other side of that can feel confident in the uh, the knowledge level of that particular beer professional. So there's. There's four different certification levels. Uh, The the entry level is the um, Cicerone certified beer server. Uh, There are a little over 100,000 of those. That is, um, the exam is certainly not a pushover. It's not like, uh, oh, I I like craft beer, so I'll just take this exam real quick and and become a Cicerone certified (laughs) beer server. But it's not nearly as overwhelming as the other exams are. Uh, It's an online exam, takes about half an hour. Uh, And uh, then the next level is the sort of industry standard level. That's the certified Cicerone. That's where I'm at right now. There are just under 4,000 certified Cicerones Uh in the world. Uh, Certified Cicerones, as I said, that's the industry standard. Like they are kind of the flagship certification level for the program. Uh, Certified Cicerone should be someone who is able to guide consumers in navigating through the dazzling variety uh, of craft beer today. Uh, should be able to run a craft beer program for a bar or restaurant. Uh, The next level above that is uh, actually what I'm preparing for right now, the advanced Cicerone level. Uh, There are currently 112 advanced Cicerones, uh, and it sits right below the highest level, which is the master Cicerone. There's only 18 of those. And originally... Holy shit. Yeah, no, there's... 18 at the highest level? Yeah, Yeah. and when it was started in 2008, all you had was that beer server certified Cicerone and Master Cicerone, Uh, and they just added the advanced level, that intermediate between certified and master, uh, two or three years ago, because the chasm between taking the certified exam and sitting for the master exam was just uh, so profound that it was preventing some people from wanting to take the master exam, and and on the other side it was encouraging people to take the master exam who had no business sitting for it yet. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So they put in the advanced exam, uh, Ray Daniels, uh, kind of describes it as being like a a higher base camp up the mountain before you're ready to summit so that you can kind of get up and get your uh, bearings. If you're going to go on to, uh, to summit at the, the master Cicerone level. So I'm currently, um, in the studying process for the advanced exam, I'm hoping to take that in the next year, uh, the The certified exam, which I've um, uh, you know I took a few years back, is a four or five hour exam. Uh, you take that in person. Uh, most of that is written, uh, and then you also have uh, some tasting panels and a little bit of demonstration stuff. The advanced exam is eight or nine hours oh, uh, of, yeah. of written and uh, tasting Jeez. panels, and then interviews. You just get interviewed by. Uh, might be Ray Daniels himself, might be Randy Mosier, you know, some uh, beer uh, expert who is just kind of going to ask you whatever they want, and you've got to demonstrate that you know what you're talking about. Uh, the master exam is a two-day exam, uh, eight or nine hours, uh, both days, and oh I God. am nowhere near uh, thinking about taking that exam, so <laughs> I'm just focused on the advanced exam for now.
2: Now, I know there are a couple of those masters work for, you know, the big guys,
0: yeah, there's three at Miller Coors. Yeah, Miller. Uh, I was
2: going to say, Miller's the one I see a lot of times as having.
0: Yeah, they have the largest concentration of any brewery. Um, in fact, there was just, uh, do you guys know about the Brewmaster documentary that just came out in the last few months? I didn't know it came uh, out. It I'd be, heard about it, but I didn't know it came out. Yeah, it's actually on, I believe it's on Amazon Prime right now uh, to stream. But um, it follows one of them, Brian Reed, uh, as he prepared to take the exam. And oh, wow. uh, they kind of use his preparation just as a way to look at the, you know, the industry as a whole and, and the whole program and all that. But
2: well, I know what um, I'm watching while I work tomorrow.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I am. That is, Um. I don't know if I'll ever sit for that. That's on the distant horizon. I'm just focused on the next thing in front of me for now.
1: Yeah. I can't believe between levels one and four, you've got over a hundred thousand at level one and 18 at level four.
0: Uh, it, it's, it's a sharp uh, drop off at every step <laughs> Oh, a hundred it's like a hundred eight thousand well, down to you know just under four thousand and then just over a hundred and then eighteen. yeah
2: <laughs> when and the masters what is it like four thousand dollars for the test or so, it's like a the, to no, take it's
0: the... less than that i, I think it was huge uh, the the certified god i I'm trying to remember I feel like the certified exam was about Five, four, five hundred. I think the master exam is is maybe eight hundred. Oh yeah, the,
2: you're right. Yeah, the initial cost cool. is nine ninety five. The retakes are seven ninety five. Yeah.
0: Sure. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's still <laughs> it's not nothing, but uh, no. it's not quite that prohibitive. Wow. wow.
1: Crazy. um <clears throat> How do you think, since since getting your um <clears throat> your two love? Excuse me. Uh, this cough just will not let go. (laughs) Uh, Since getting your, your two levels of certification, do you feel like it has affected your, and it could be a good way or, or bad way affected your enjoyment of beer in general? Like, is it, is it more, I like annoying to try and figure out the flavors in a beer, what which makes drinking a beer more work, or is it more interesting that makes it better? How do how do you feel about drinking beer now versus three or four years ago before you got
0: this? Yeah, for me it's it's definitely been a positive and there's a couple uh, stages to that answer. On the one hand, as I mentioned earlier, you know, when I dive into something I tend to kind of jump in head first and I want to understand it in an intellectual way. So even if I hadn't pursued my certification, I was going to be doing this. I was going to want to understand all flavors and understand ingredients and how they impact flavor and aroma and and all that stuff. So this more or less just gave me a framework uh, to be able to do that. In uh, but beyond that, um, you know, the discipline required to get the certification and then the um, the knowledge that came along with that and the satisfaction, the the, the personal. Uh, maybe satisfaction is the wrong word, the um, the validation that came along with being able to pass that and say, all right, I do have this level of understanding of this topic, allowed me to be a lot more confident and comfortable just even for myself, even not getting into the professional side of it, just for myself to be able to feel confidence of what I'm tasting and what my palate uh, can recognize. Uh, because you know, we can recognize, what is it, 10,000 aromas, and, uh, you know, so many f- flavors and all this, and uh, I hear from so many people when I'm doing events, oh, I just don't have a good palate, or I just don't have a good mm-hmm. sense of smell, or I don't have a good sense of taste, and it's like, yeah, you do, you have the same, <laughs> the same ability that we all do, it's just that you don't have, A, a vocabulary for it, you haven't, yeah. Uh, you don't understand what all of the things are that you're smelling and tasting, and you don't have confidence. No one's ever told you that what you taste is what you taste. You just believe that you're wrong if you taste, if you don't taste what I do, or you taste something else. And yeah. so, uh, getting the certification, I think, has definitely improved just my own enjoyment of it, both from uh, the fact that it gave me the framework for uh, being able to digest all this information. Uh, but also the validation that came along was saying, yeah, I can do this. You know, I can, uh, I, I know these things about beer and and that's, um, that's nice. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, I never finished college and a lot of throughout my twenties, I had a lot of angst about that. You know, all my friends had uh, had degrees and I'm <laughs> a, you know, I'm an, an intelligence and self-educated person and I don't have a degree. And so um when I decided to take this on full time and uh, become a, a beer writer and educator, I knew that getting uh, the certification was going to be very important to me uh, just because it would be something that demonstrated I, I set my mind to a task, I worked at it, and somebody else validated that and said, yes, you did achieve this. You do have this level of knowledge. So uh, it's meant a lot to me and it has definitely made it more enjoyable.
2: Now, were you doing the classes and the tasting stuff that you were doing, that you're doing now before when you had like the server or is that something you didn't uh, start until you... long.
0: I actually, I didn't get the server until uh, you have to have passed each, obviously each level before you can take the next right. exam and you can't even register until you have the you know the previous one in hand. So I didn't even take the, the beer server exam until I was uh, registering for the certified exam a couple months before I, I sat for it and I just- because uh, I needed to get it out of the way in order to register, so right. uh, I hadn't gotten the beer server certification uh, for itself, you know, well in advance or anything like that. So I was doing events and and a little bit of writing for a little while before the certification, but not all that long. I had kind of had the plan that when I was going to start doing this professionally, I was just going to jump all in on it. So getting the certification was really important to what I was doing. You know, I'm not. I don't work for a brewery. I don't have um, any other name to attach to what I'm doing besides my own. So if I'm going to go into a place and say, hey, you should pay me to uh, teach your people about beer service or uh, you should pay me to lead a tasting for all of your customers and represent your beers at this tasting, they have absolutely no reason to believe that I know what I'm talking about without some sort of certification like that. Um What craft beer is kind of like—it's uh, kind of like your friend who knows about computers and then accidentally erases your hard drive because they don't actually know anything about computers. You know, everybody thinks they know something about craft beer. You know, there's there's plenty of dude bros on bar stools who are prepared to tell you everything about craft beer and they don't know shit. They don't—they have no idea what they're talking about. And, dude bros—that's a good term, right? So, you know, and I knew, so I knew that going into these places and just being like hey, I'm David. I, I know a lot about beer. Like, well, sure. So does Joe down there at the end of the bar, like right. him to teach classes. So right. I needed something that would make them, you know, that would help people recognize that uh, they could hire me with confidence to do events or to write for their publication or to train their staff on uh, how to pair beer with food or whatever it was. Uh, so it was really important to me in that way. And I, I knew that I was going to need that pretty much from the beginning, if I was going to jump in and start doing this uh, as a full-time job.
1: What, um, how do you think food affects affects uh, the taste of beer? Do you, <laughs> do you think that's a valid point?
0: Uh yeah. I mean, anytime you're combining flavors from anything, you know, they're going to alter each other and and influence each other and either play nicely with each other or they aren't. Uh, so <clears> beer <throat> is, and I say this as unbiased as I can, obviously beer is my preferred drink, but I, I firmly believe that beer is the most versatile, uh, pairing beverage that we have. I enjoy good wine. I enjoy, uh, good spirits I don't drink nearly as much of them as I do uh, beer, but I enjoy them. So I don't intend to step on their toes. But um, wine definitely has some blind spots when it comes to pairing with food. And there are things that uh, if you you get a a wine professional, maybe you get enough wine in them so they'll start talking. They might admit that wine (laughs) doesn't necessarily go with everything. Uh, And uh, beer has a lot of things going for it that will allow it to work with pretty much anything if you pick the right beer. So uh, for one thing, uh, and it's something we overlook and don't think about, but the carbonation of beer is a tremendous asset uh, because uh, carbonation will serve to uh, scrub off a lot of flavors and textures from food that can uh, gum up the works with some other drinks. Uh, But beyond that, there's just so much diversity of flavor in beer that uh, anything that you might struggle to find something to go with, with wine, you know, uh, uh, wine and, and chocolate is sort of this established thing, which is sort of comical because there's, there's not many wines that work well with many chocolates. And yet, um, you can always find a beer that's going to pull out flavors from a a good bean-to-bar chocolate. Uh, there's some cheeses that some wines will struggle with. Uh, there are vegetables that, that wine will struggle with, and there's always a beer that matches. So, you can get some absolutely miserable combinations between beer and food if you don't um, understand what you're doing with them. So I wouldn't just recommend putting any beer with any food and it's going to be a, a match made in heaven. But if you, uh, you understand some basic principles and concepts um, it's a, a glorious beverage with food.
1: Is, is that um, is the Cicerone program. Does it have any, any food, Yes. um, as it does have a food yeah. so, like aspect um, to it.
0: It doesn't for the beer server level, but as soon as you get into the certified level, you are tested on uh, a food pairing. And in fact, once you get into the advanced level, you start getting tested on food stuff that doesn't even have anything to do with beer. So you have a, you have to have a general oh, wow. cuisine familiarity. Uh, you know, you, you need to understand that, uh, hummus is made from chickpeas and you need to understand that all these different things, uh, because when you're getting into that level, you're going to be doing food pairing, and you can't just fake your way through that and sort of look it up on your phone while you're trying to, <laughs> you know, have a, a consultation or something. You need to understand when someone says uh, that they have uh, ceviche on their menu and they want to know what to pair it with. Well, you can't quick Google ceviche and try to figure out what to pair it with. You need to understand food. You need to know cuisine in general to be able to do that. So. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you, you have to have a good familiarity with with food. And um, that really gets into one of the things that I've, uh, I've found uh, important for myself um, as I've gotten further into my enjoyment of beer. Uh, and it's really kind of advice uh, for expanding uh, sensory horizons if somebody wants to become a better taster, even if it's just of beer. You can't just learn about beer. You need to be tasting broadly because even if you like beer better than wine, there are beers that have flavors that are going to evoke different wines. And so having a vocabulary that can uh, recognize when something tastes like a Riesling versus tastes like a cab or whatever else, uh, you need to have that vocabulary or you're going to be bumbling along wondering what that flavor is. Uh, You need to understand these different Um, you know, uh, different types of coffee, different types of chocolate, different types of uh, different fruits, different herbs, all of those are flavors and aromas that pop up in beer. So one of the things I encourage people when they're wanting to know how to become better tasters is uh, drink and eat widely beyond beer and just pay attention while you're doing it. Go, Go to the grocery store and buy some fruits that you're not familiar with and taste those fruits, taste uh, herbs, buy some cheap, uh, you know, canisters of herbs. They don't have to be the highest quality, but buy some herbs that if you can't identify what thyme smells like, go buy a $3 canister of thyme and smell it, (laughs) you know, and do this stuff. And you're going to become, you're going to expand your sensory vocabulary and become a better taster. Even if you're only doing that for the purpose of tasting beer better in a more educated way. Everything that we taste, everything that we smell is an opportunity to expand our sensory vocabulary. So uh, having a good working knowledge of food uh, and other uh, other beverages is important if you're going to expand your ability to taste beer at a high level.
2: Man, I w- it's, it's funny because the three of us, what we normally do on our shows, we, we try to pick a beer that we all have. Uh, it's easy because Jake lives across the street from me. Not so easy because Chad's up north. But right. we try to find a beer we all have. And we, we start out by opening it and smelling it first and talking about what we smell. And then we, we'll we'll drink it and give our first impressions. And we'll talk about whatever beer-related news we want to talk about. And then over the course of the hour of the show, we drink it and, and we talk about how it changed from the beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. And and sure. usually it warms up. The flavors definitely change as, as it warms. But the one thing that always gets us is how you know Chad will taste fig, and I won't taste that at all. I'll taste mm-hmm. vanilla, you know, and how sure how two people drinking the exact same thing just don't taste the same thing. that's just always yeah. fascinating when we drink you know the same beer and
0: talk about it, yeah, and there's a couple of different things that go into that i mean for for the one thing, um you know we might actually process sensory input in different ways to mm-hmm. where a a flavor that Expresses as big to one person expresses as vanilla to you. Uh, the other thing, and something that I find really fascinating, I'm actually giving a talk this weekend about this uh, in at an event in Dayton, uh, is that our um, our cultural context, and I use cultural very broadly, affects our our flavor vocabulary. So uh, when I say cultural, everything from the home that we grew up in and the homes we've lived in to the area of the country that we live, our ethnic background, our uh, our national background, in some cases our religious background, all of that affects the flavors and aromas that we are familiar with and that we have a vocabulary for. Uh, so, going back to the very beginning, when I was talking about being in a rural area and these you know these uh, rural folks who are new to craft beer and they're mm-hmm. able to pick out the smell of hay or uh, horse blanket or whatever it is in some of these uh, really challenging sour beers. Uh, you know, those are, those are terms of prestige among uh, beer geeks who are, are, you know, really venerating these uh, old world lambics and things like that. Uh, and, you know, Joe, the farmer is just like, is there hay in this? And like, <laughs> you know, it, because that's something he's familiar with, you know, he's smelled that his entire life and there's, there's actually, uh, comfort and positive association to an aroma like that. So uh, our our backgrounds and our our sensory context that we've developed across the decades influences how we perceive flavor and it influences how we're able huh. to describe it. And it's one of the reasons that uh, doing what you guys are doing and tasting a beer together can be really valuable because we all have a different, uh, we all have a different crayon box that we're coloring with when we're uh, figuring out these flavors and smells. And so being able to talk about them together allows us to learn from each other and expand our own sensory vocabulary.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I hadn't actually even thought about um, for those who haven't grown up around a farm, we have no right. idea what a hay smells like right? So right. They would and never and So that. my
0: wife is from Chicago. She grew up yeah. in the South suburbs, uh, and you know, went to school and worked downtown and just moved here about five years ago when we got married and, uh, she loves sour beers. But when we were first talking about, um, you know, out Guza, uh, we were tasting through some of these, uh, Guzas and she loves them, but I was like picking out these, these rural terms that I didn't even think about as being rural, you know, the right. hay and, and barnyard and and horse blanket and diesel and all these different things. And and she had absolutely no context for those aromas. (laughs) So uh, we ended up taking a a field trip to our local, to the county fair. And we went to, uh, you know, the agricultural display. We went to the horse barn. We went to all these different places so that she could smell what hay smelled like and what horse blanket smelled like and what, uh, you know, all these different things were uh, because if you grew up in the city, you might love sour beer, but you have absolutely no idea. <laughs> no what fucking clue. That like. <laughs> what? So, yeah.
1: That's really interesting. Yeah. I wonder if the opposite's true. If somebody that, somebody grows up on a farm, if they if they don't know what uh, car exhaust smells like, and, <laughs> I'm sure they know what are they
0: doing? Car yeah, and, think...
1: and sewage and sewage, right?
0: Sewage. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there's as many uh, specific um, <laughs> uh, geographical things like that, but I think there could certainly be some other cultural things. You know, if you grew up on a farm and have been, uh, you know, you haven't you haven't traveled too far afoot. Do you really under, really have a good understanding of, of papaya and mango? Do you right. understand, um, you know, Thai spices? Do you under you know, those different things? If you've been a meat and potatoes person your entire life, um, I, I don't know. You know, I think all of that can influence the things that we're able to pick out and recognize, and I think we can learn from each other then. It's one of the great things about getting a lot of people together into a room to taste beer is... Uh, you have people who can pick out all sorts of different things, and it's not always the same.
2: Yeah, I think the, the city folk would be like, that. that's Leo. And Leo's the guy down in the corner, the homeless guy down in the corner, because I used to smell that guy when they walked by. That's what they're... <laughs> that's what that would be, <laughs> well,
0: I I'd, let me know what beer it is that you smell that in. Yeah, we won't be buying it. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, the,
2: um, the Cicerone and something... Chad and I specifically have talked about doing for a couple, since we started this podcast like a year and a half ago or so. Yeah. Um, sure. We've talked about doing it off and on and something we want to do. So um getting somebody on who had it and just hearing them, hearing you talk about it, you know, it, it was, it's really good. Um,
1: it was something we yeah, really it's were, a, it's a rejuvenating sure. kind of uh, uh, interview for us, you know, from, from a, from the sister own standpoint, because it, it was a year and a half ago we were, when we first started talking about doing this podcast, and Adam, I didn't know anything about the Cicero, uh program at all. He told me about it, and I think we were brewing a beer on a November December morning. Yeah, I think so. Talking about doing yeah. it a year and a half ago, and here we are, still haven't done it. But this is <laughs> this is this has been uh, very informative and and sure. rejuvenating.
0: It's totally doable. Um, you just gotta go about your your study in a disciplined way. So you know get get the list of the books eh, it might be please. a problem <laughs> <laughs> and you know make a list of the styles you're not familiar with and and taste through them intentionally do side by side tastings do off flavor tastings you do all that stuff and eventually you'll be ready to go
2: yeah and i never you know i always you know try to figure out how i can increase my palate but you make a you made a really good point of that it's it's uh <laughs> it's more of a vocabulary thing really just be able to mm-hmm. recognize what you're tasting. Cause. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll be, I'll be the one going uh, down the uh, the grocery store aisle next week, smelling all the, that's,
0: smell it's great. It's the best all. way to do it. And, <laughs> I, I, and That's really what it is. You know, it's not like somehow you, it's not like a muscle that you exercise and somehow your nose or your taste buds get stronger. It's right. vocabulary. It's recognition. It's, it's, you're smelling it, whether you think you are or not, it's being able to attach those things. You just don't know what to call it. Descriptions. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, now, have you? do you homebrew? Have you homebrewed at all?
0: Uh, I have not. I am one of the rare industry professionals who has not homebrewed. I'm not saying it's requirement at all. <laughs> I remember, yeah, I was... The, the Cessaron uh, program certainly encourages it, but I decided when I was preparing, I had I hadn't done it recreationally, and uh, as I was preparing for the exam, I I took an honest evaluation of how I learned best, and I said, you know what, I'm I think I can better spend my time by actually <laughs> just um, uh, absorbing this information intellectually rather than. Uh, doing it hands-on, because I don't really learn very well doing hands-on stuff.
2: Yeah. Uh, I I think I was, I I think I jumped down a YouTube rabbit hole at some point, and I saw somebody brewing beer and I remembered, I was like, wait a minute, you can brew this shit at home? <laughs> like, I had no idea you could do this. <laughs> right. And uh, I immediately just started, I YouTube the hell out of brewing beer and I just watched these people do it and I started sure. buying books and reading and then uh, another buddy of mine, we went in together and bought all the equipment and we just started brewing. And uh, since then it's been, yeah, it's been all beer all the time. So
0: <laughs> yeah. No, and I'd like to start doing it. Um, I, I would, it's just, it's, it's a big time commitment and, no, and time is at a bit of a premium right now. And honestly, <laughs> like I said, when I was you know studying for the exam, it was like, yeah, I could sink my time into this, but uh, I can also spend that same amount of time actually gaining the you know the knowledge and the descriptions of the, of this and understand it from that standpoint and so that's how I went about it uh a lot of people would probably think I'm foolish to pursue the advanced exam without doing hands-on brewing i mean i have i have i have been around for brewing and kind of uh you know done this at breweries and and stood in on brew days and things like that but um i know how i learn and Uh, you know, whenever I I, had different jobs and things like that, people, most people assume that hands-on learning is best. And when you are trying to make me learn something by repetition, by, you know, okay, now I want you to do it. You're wasting your time. Just Mm -hmm. let me take notes and then study those notes and come and understand it from a a more, uh, you know, whole picture uh, standpoint. So that's what I've done. Maybe it's foolish. We'll find out in a year or so. I think well, it's great that you're, it, you're able
2: to recognize how you learn cuz for me I'm the complete
0: opposite. I
2: I can't take a note to save my life. <laughs> I, I just note taking is not for me. I've tried it in, you know, my job and business. I just can't do it. But sure. getting my hands in and doing and you know, actually doing the work. Um you could you could describe how to how to do something all you want, but until I get my hands on it and do it, that's how I learn. So I don't think it's bad at all. You you learn it how you learn it and if you know how you learn it that's even better, so kudos yeah don't. definitely
1: yeah. well it's always interesting that there's there's always somebody out there that thinks they know the best way to teach someone for everybody for everybody <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's right. yeah, like yeah. this blanket method of this is how you learn and it's, uh, it's public, never public the school case.
2: systems that we're talking about now <laughs>
0: yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> what uh what's your currently what's your favorite beer style
0: oh god yeah, that's, uh, that's a tough one. That that, yeah, you come. That's me a fair
1: there. question. You know, it's a fair question, but it's also oh.
2: like asking somebody, "What's your favorite beer?" Like,
0: I don't. Yeah, I that's, don't know. That's tough. So I'll tell you. Okay, I'll, we'll go this route. So when I walk into a brewery um, that I don't have a previous knowledge of, there are, or, or, or you know, I, I'm not familiar with their beers at least, uh, and I they've got you know the entire gamut of beers on their tap board. There are styles that are going to. Um, draw my attention first to want to order. So if we're early in the night, uh, I am really a huge fan of Keller beers. So anybody who's got a unfiltered lager on, a more rustic style lager, uh, I'm probably going to start there. Um, I enjoy, uh, uh, Whitbeer was one of the first beers when I was really getting into craft beer that uh, made me recognize that i liked belgian beer i didn't know why i didn't understand anything about yeast or anything like that at the time Uh, but i knew that i was consistently enjoying wit beer and so it's it stayed a favorite style of mine uh so i'll order that um munich helles that had just has a really beautiful uh pilsner malt base to it i enjoy that uh once we start getting into later in the evening the stronger uh beers uh i am if, if I had to pick one beer culture, it would be Belgium. I've been to Belgium a couple times on beer trips and, um, I, I just love, uh, their entire brewing culture. So, uh, good farmhouse sales, uh, you know, saisons, whether mm-hmm. or not, the, whether or not that's actually a farmhouse style is, is up for debate, but, uh, you know, the, the Abbey styles and things like that. I'm big into those, um, I and obviously they're a lot rarer, but I am huge into beers that uh, have forage ingredients. I love uh, scratch brewing there in Illinois and mm-hmm. um, full steam in North Carolina, Flora in North Carolina, Some others that are uh, really trying to pioneer a, uh, a new sense of terroir in their their beers by using uh, local ingredients. So anybody who is is taking a leap, Even if it's just one beer, you know, somebody is using local spruce chips in their, their spring IPA and everything else they do is more standard. If they're doing something like that, I, I want to see what, what they're doing with it. So uh, those tend to be uh, my favorites, but I can enjoy a well-made example of, of any style. That is my roundabout way of copping out of your question.
2: <laughs> very, very well done. Very well done.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think it was it was answered fairly.
0: <laughs> good, good. I didn't want you to uh, feel like you got ripped off there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have. Uh, I, I've just recently had a, a new to me style of uh, Groot, or oh. Groot. Mhm. Uh, I guess that's like a super old.
0: Yeah, I mean, there uh-huh. was a time when pretty much all beer was was brewed on some level. You know, it was, okay. just, it was seasoned with whatever could be found.
1: Okay. Well, I thought it was. I thought it was good. I mean, it's it's Who it's was just that amazing. From? To, it's am. Was that? Who was it from? Uh, it's a little uh local brewery just about fifteen miles east of me called the Fermentorium.
0: Oh yeah.
1: And I uh,
0: feel like I've heard of that. <clears throat>
1: they're in uh, uh Cedarburg. which is right along I-43 between Milwaukee and Green Bay. Um, But yeah, I I had never heard of this, I don't know, this style before. And it's just amazing to me that these, that there are so many styles out there. You mentioned several just in your, in your answer to my question that, uh, of styles I've never heard of. And that reminded me about this, the Gruet that I'd had. And it's just interesting that there's, there's so many styles out there when I, th- just when I think I've had pretty much <laughs> everything, I probably haven't even had half of everything.
0: Sure. Yeah. Now you'll, you'll never run out of things to learn when it comes to beer. I'll We'll all be learning about this uh, our entire lives. We'll never exhaust what there is to the, the new things <laughs> there are to discover.
2: Well, yeah. And they just keep coming up with more,
0: Stuff, right, now we're know? now we're just making up styles as we go. Right, uh, exactly. <laughs> We're throwing out the rule book and everybody's just kind of like mashing everything together. You know, you're getting like dark IPLs and all this stuff and it's like, "What what are you doing exactly?" Uh, yeah. White stouts, whatever.
1: black black IPAs black and IPAs. white
0: stouts. And... <laughs> right. Exactly. Well,
1: now
2: um there was that the brewery in New York that just they just released it, I think. The beer uh with yeast they found on a Oh, the shipwreck. On a shipwreck. There's a shipwreck from the 1800s.
0: Well, one of the things that cracks me up with those, um, it's not too uncommon to find a brewery who, you know, randomly discovered yeast somewhere. We used yeast that we scraped off of our, you know, our barn or (laughs) whatever it is. And that's fantastic. But they act like they were walking around and they found yeast and it's like, dude, there's yeast fucking everywhere. Right. Like There's yeast In the on air around everything. You. Yeah. There is yeast on you. There is yeast on yep. like your car. There's yeast everywhere. Like you didn't. So there's a brewery near us. I was just talking to a brewer uh, recently and he was, um, he, he was, uh, off the record sort of venting about, uh, another brewer and, um, was talking you know they had they had mentioned that they had discovered this yeast uh somewhere and like it, it almost like it was like indiana jones and it's just like oh man like <laughs> we, can you believe we found this and it's like dude there's <laughs> yeast on everything right. <laughs> yes. good job
2: before they believed it was the gods that that fermented this beer or whatever they had no clue that the yeast was just it was there it was in the air
0: right it's, in it's, fact uh and I'm gonna bumble this so I'm not going to get too specific but there was a time uh, I feel like late middle ages when the 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 word that was being used and I don't remember what country it was for yeast literally translated to God is good oh wow they really? me. Yeah, yeah, they I mean they 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 had no explanation for what was happening. They just knew that if you took the the krausen, you know, the the foam after fermentation and added it to the next batch, you got more beer. And so <laughs> it was just kind of a divine intervention.
2: <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I don't know it. what I can argue. Yeah, I can't really uh, argue. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I know um New Glarus, right? Isn't it Chad New Glarus has the open top fermenters?
0: Yeah. For I sours, believe yeah. they're doing I think they're doing something open fermentation. Do they have a cool ship yeah. there?
1: I don't know. That I don't know. I I don't know. I know that uh, the the sours that they've been that they've been uh, making are are open air uh, fermentation. Sure.
2: sure. That cool. that's one that's that's on our list to hopefully go there this summer. It's supposed to be one of the one. Of, it's always been rated one of the top
1: breweries to visit
2: um and so we've yeah it's an hour from a, away, it's not hour for just away, the
1: beer but yeah. from experience perspective yeah so it's...
0: i've heard their tour is pretty good i was there um uh, back in the fall and didn't love the tap room experience um it i don't want to you guys should go i don't want to uh, discourage <laughs> you from going i probably should have taken the tour i've heard they do a really good job with that but yeah uh hanging around hanging out in their little um uh, outdoor, like, uh, they, they've got like a patio and it's sort of like these fake ruins. Like they've built like these little half walls that no look, really. like, uh, yeah, it looks like, you know, you've stumbled upon a, a hundreds year old, uh, Italian villa or something. And <laughs> it all had a bit of a, a touristy feel to me. Obviously their beer is fantastic. Um, I was a little let down just by the experience of being there, but again, I've heard that the tour is awesome and I didn't take it. So yeah, okay. if you take it, let me know how it was.
2: Now, what like, what? do you look for when you go into um,
0: a tap room? You know,
2: what do you – are you looking at – I know, like for, I've, I said on our show, we were with, with Three Sheeps. The one thing I like about going to Three Sheeps is that um, there's always something on their tap that I can't get anywhere else. It's something they don't bottle. It's their experimental stuff. Um, I've been to some tap rooms where you don't have that. I can't, what, what they're tapping is exactly what I get in the store. So it's like, why – why am I here? Right. You know, sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I look for like that type of stuff. What do you, what do you look for? Like what makes a good, you know, yeah. visit for
0: you? Uh, I mean, there's a few things. I mean, one is, and, and it's kind of indefinable because it can mean a lot of different things in a lot of different contexts, but uh, an ambiance that feels like I'm actually experiencing something. I, I understand why breweries open in strip malls. You know, you need low rent. You need yeah. to be able to cover overhead and all that. But, um, it is really hard to sink into the sensory experience of a beer when you're sitting in what used to be a, you know, cricket cell phone store, or whatever it was before this. So, um, you know, a, a building with history is awfully nice. You know, when you've taken over and, and renovated something that has been lived in for a really long time um, that has that sense of ambiance to it, that's enjoyable. Like Lakefront, um,
1: Lakefront, their, their place has a cool story too. Yes. Lakefront and good yeah, city yeah. in Milwaukee. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so something like that. Um, obviously, I, <laughs> this this should be obvious, but you need to have good beer. You know, I need to not be disappointed by the liquid that you're right. pouring me. And one of the things, you know, I, I get weary of uh, IPA everything. Um, mm-hmm. But one the one time that I will order IPAs is when I'm actually at the source because there's nothing that drops off in flavor faster in beer than hops. Uh, and so getting an IPA that is, you know, straight out of the bright tank or, or, you know, freshly kegged or whatever it is, uh, is the freshest you're going to get it. So if you've got a, uh, one of your, uh, IPAs on tap, um, I'm going to look for that in your brewery if I'm actually at the tap room. Um, also, and I am definitely in the minority on this, uh, I am not a huge fan of the, uh, Uh, I'm going to the brewery, so I'm going to make 13 new best friends and let's just push all of our tables together thing. Like this like, this whole like German beer hall, like just long tables. I get it. I get why places do it. Sometimes I just want to go and, you know, sit with my wife or sit by myself and have a beer and just kind of sink into the experience of being there. And when I am at a table with, um, a bunch of, uh, people with their dogs and all of them and their dogs want to become best friends with me. I, I get a little (laughs) weary of that. So a place that has, uh, that allows for the experience of just sort of, uh, sitting back and soaking it in and not everything being frenetic and high energy. Um, I, I don't begrudge them making money and obviously they make money by people coming through the door. So, uh, they need good business, but uh, a place that allows for um, a diverse array of experiences when you're in the tap room. So there's a quieter area, there's a there's a bar, there's a higher energy area, all that sort of different things. So I can pick what I'm up for on a given evening. Uh, that goes a long way to making that a place that I can, you know, take a gamble on coming back to on another night when I'm not sure what your crowd's going to be like. Yeah, for sure.
1: And we had this, we had an experience a few weeks ago at a, at a brewery on, oh, on the yeah. North side of Chicago yeah. that was just like, you know, I, f- I kind of felt like the beer was, the beer was just kind of meh. It was okay. Yeah. We went there because we've had some, some of the good barrel age stuff, but they didn't have any of it. Everything else was that we tried was, it was okay, but it felt like we were in like a convert old converted Goodwill store or something. Oh, yeah, and right. I even mean, <laughs> think about it that way. here. That's true. <laughs> it just wasn't. It just didn't have the right atmosphere, and there know, there was to, zero to really energy. Enjoy it. There was zero energy
2: in the place. That, that's the other thing. Yeah, um, sure. If you wanted to be by yourself, this was the place to do it. Nobody would have bugged you at all. <laughs> it was right. dead, yeah, energy wise. So,
0: yeah. um, also we, one thing to good. Lo- one thing to look for is: are there are there regulars? Are there locals? Like, if I yeah. feel like all this is is out of towners obviously you can't control who comes into your brewery Uh, and if you're a a draw for people uh coming from a long way away i can't begrudge you that but i want to see that the people in your community have supported you that this is a place that they feel comfortable and that they feel like represents them so when i can obviously it's a little bit intangible to define but when i can tell that there are people here who this is their place that goes a long way to making me kind of buy in more to what your tap room experience is. Yeah.
2: It was, yeah. It's funny you say that because we, uh, my wife and I recently went up to three sheeps to pick up. We got some, some of their barrels from them. We bought some barrels from them. We're, we're turning our dining room into a, ta- a pub room because we don't use a dining room for anything. So we'd better turn it into a pub room. Um, So we got these barrels and we were there right when they opened their doors. I think it was like a 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. And there were four other guys there, old guys, old timers, man. And they were there with their, their crowlers and growlers, coming to get their, their fill. Like they, mm-hmm. everybody knew their name. They were like the regulars. Everybody knew who they were, what they were <laughs> gonna get. So it was, it was, it was very interesting to see that they're right through the door open. So,
1: sure, okay. yeah. Oh, well, David, uh, we're gonna we're running a little bit long here, but that, I mean it's okay. But we definitely want to give you an opportunity here to plug what you actually do. Sure. Um, so, I mean, you, you, on your website, you list that you, I mean, you do some, you do classes and tastings or, or just, just want to go through what you do real quick, just so everybody can kind know where people can find, where you. To find you.
0: Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, so, uh, as you've said, I'm a, a craft beer journalist and educator. So I write for uh, most of the big national uh, beer publications, both in print and online. I write for Beer Advocate. Uh, just started writing for craft beer and brewing magazine Uh, Write for craftbeer.com porchdrinking.com i write for some regional food and beer publications like uh, uh, ohio magazine and edible ohio valley just some stuff here in the area that kind of covers the ohio scene Uh, and then i'm always looking for kind of unusual venues to um, uh, get beer into so i write for uh, civil eats which is a Mm -hmm. Just a fantastic publication online, civileats.com. Uh, they look at the intersection of uh, food and food production with um, ethics and politics. Um, so uh, I've done a couple pieces for them on beer on um, you know sustainability. I, I wrote about them uh, or wrote for them about uh, Sierra Nevada's uh, resilience IPA and kind of the charitable giving within craft beer. Uh, and then I, I do a lot of events in the area. So I lead beer tastings at uh, breweries and uh, beer bars. I lead pairings, uh, whether that's full-scale dinners or uh, more themed pairings like beer and chocolate, beer and cheese, beer and cookies, beer and pie, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, and then I lead a lot of um, educational classes around the area. You you might this might surprise you, but uh, public libraries are eating beer up right now. I've got (laughs) uh, um, more than half a dozen public library systems that pay me to come in and do monthly or quarterly uh, beer classes for their patrons. So (laughs) come in and every month we'll pick a different uh, style family or uh, national tradition or whatever it is, talk about the history of it, and then taste through some beer examples of it. Uh, So I do a lot of that uh, and then I'm starting to get into some uh, more interesting, I shouldn't say more interesting, but some more unusual uh, events. I'm doing one this weekend uh, that is a, we're calling it a sensory camp. It's uh, bringing together experts on beer, bourbon, uh, cheese, chocolate, and coffee. And we're going to be giving breakout wow. talks throughout the day. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, we're going to be giving <laughs> talks throughout the day um, on not, not so much the technical aspects of tasting, but uh, really diving into the more... Uh, the deeper level stuff of like, why do we enjoy what we taste and how do we enjoy it more? How does what we taste affect how we think and how we feel and how we relate to other people and kind of getting people to really buy into the fact that um, our senses interact with uh, our our higher level functioning and vice versa. So uh, it's going to be an all day event and I am super excited about it. Uh, so that's kind of what I do. Uh, I split my time pretty evenly between the writing and the events. They both take up about half my time. Uh, you can find all of my events listed on my website at davidnilsenbeer.com. You can also find links to all of my published uh, beer writing on there. And then on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, you can also find me at uh, davidnilsonbeer.com. So Uh, On all those different platforms, I do different things. Uh, So if you're active on those, uh, please do follow me on there. Uh, And then again, on my website, you can find all of the information for my events and writing as well.
2: Well, man, do do you ever record any of these and like put them on online, YouTube or anything like that?
0: I events. have not yet, but it's a thing that I have been looking at starting to do. I am, uh, if we can figure out the uh, logistics for it, I'm going to try to record one of my talks this Saturday. So I can't guarantee that that will uh, make it up, but if we can make it happen, I'm going to try to get that out there so you might be able to see that.
2: Yeah, that's when you were talking about with the uh, the chocolate, the,
0: whatever
1: it was, that that one's yeah, the beer, the bourbon, the chocolate, the yeah. cheese, everything that sounds delicious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Well, And just, yeah, a, just the a, talk a, of, kind the... of just a, a total like holistic hedonism yeah. of just indulging all of these things that people love anyway. And everybody loves chocolate. Everybody loves them uh, beer and cheese and coffee and all this stuff. But a lot of times people don't really think about them in a, a deeper way. So just kind of taking people to that next level with it. And I'll be in that talk. I'm going to be talking about a lot of the things that I mentioned earlier about our, uh, our, our, sensory context and how that influences our uh, flavor vocabulary. So hopefully we'll be able to get that video online so you can see it.
2: Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. The sensory stuff. That's, that's really interesting to me
1: as well. Yeah,
0: definitely. Very cool.
2: Well, thanks so much, man. We, um, yeah, this was awesome. We could have gone, you know, (laughs) we could have talked for a long time.
0: Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. I know I, I ran a little over, but, uh, Oh no. Don't don't worry
1: about it. We were uh, uh, just to be honest with you, Adam and I were were texting back and forth here in the last half hour. So like we were saying, like we could
0: talk to this guy all night long. So. <laughs> well, then well, maybe we're, we'll have to do this again sometime. And then <laughs> we were
1: just
2: like, I'm with, I don't have another beer, and the fridge is over there, and I can't get to the other beer. It's like, I don't <laughs> That's a terrible problem. Uh, next, uh, next <laughs> time I plan ahead and bring more beer with me to the to the room. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, David, thanks again so much, everybody. Uh, you know, yeah, everywhere you said, follow him, uh, David nelson Beer. Um, Go check them out, definitely. If you're, yeah, in, we'll put if you're in Ohio, in the, <laughs> in
1: the description too on the, on the YouTube. If you're in the Ohio yeah. area, go go
2: check them out for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, let me know if you're coming through the area. I'll uh, give you some tips, or maybe we can meet up or something. Definitely.
1: Sweet. Sounds well, a thanks, cool. right. thanks, guys. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, David. Have a good night. Yep. You too. Bye bye. Sweet. That was interesting. Yeah, man.
2: Where's there? It is. Switch the camera angle. That was that's a lot, that's a lot to think about. Like sometimes when you answer it, I'm like, I'm so processing what you just fucking said. Give me <laughs> a second.
1: There was there was a lot of information, and, and early like early in the interview, I, um, the questions he took and just kind of ran with yeah, yeah, with yeah. them, and I wanted to kind of interrupt and ask a question about something specific. But at the same time, I was like, no, this is really interesting. I just want to <laughs> let him keep going. Because needed a piece end- of
2: paper to write down, like, okay, we well, said this. I need to remember asking him this. But, yeah, it was good. I It's, you know, I, I wanted to have him on because, um, as we've talked about, taking the Cicerone, you know, so it's the the numbers that he gave, right, it's hard to find somebody who's Cicerone certified, that you can really sit down and talk to, right? And although we didn't really dig in very deeply, he still kind of answered everything I really was wondering, you know, how do you build that that palette, right? And yeah. I never even thought of, and he's so right when he says it. It's funny, when people say things, you're like, well, shit, yeah, you're right. <laughs> like, I'm an idiot. Yeah. I was thinking of it too hard. But he said, yep. you know, you know what you're tasting. You just don't know the words to put to it, right?
1: Right. Right. and that's, and that's like, one thing I was I was I was worried about in in us talking about doing the Cicerone program because I was like I'm not gonna, I'm gonna fail at this I'm yeah. not gonna right. be able to Me tell too. what orange rind <laughs> smells like
2: or <laughs> right. as some beer podcasts will say it's uh, it's a three week old uh, banana that's been sitting out in the sun for about two and a half hours like yeah. shut the fuck up you yeah. don't know that shit but yes. That type of stuff, and I think the idea is like in I was would have asked anyway. How does one go about training their palate or teaching you know themselves? And he's right, like go go through you know the produce yeah. and it's like I've never had this fruit before. I don't know what that fruit tastes like. I don't get buy one and try it out. You know, so yeah,
1: or, yeah. I mean, sniff smell. everything. People are gonna look at you like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? But get your nose out. Does of it eyes. really matter? What other people think that you are doing
2: never has, no, nope. never has. That was a great time. Um, it only, it sucks that he's in Ohio, not close enough for me to go to any of his events. Yeah, but I'll keep watching his. Um, I didn't mean I didn't know he was in Wisconsin. I don't know if he did an event up here, but you know if he's close, definitely go check it out.
1: Yeah, for sure. If he's got something in the, in, in our area, either one of our areas.
2: And, and David, if you are listening to this part, if you need any help with all YouTube and stuff.
1: I mean i I'm your guy, I can help
2: you out with any of that so. <laughs> Adam mm. knows YouTube like I get this shit up on the internet pretty quickly, so yeah um but yeah, that was great um Jake, sorry, you missed it dude uh you know hopefully we can we, we can get him back on him I'm sure we can get him back oh, on oh yeah yeah um,
1: yeah i yeah we can we can certainly do a a part two Because <laughs> I think there's a lot more stuff to talk about there is there's a lot more yeah
2: for sure um David, thank you much so much for joining us again. We appreciate it. it was yep, it was awesome, great. I'll be thinking about this for probably a couple of days and i'll be, <laughs> and I'll be sniffing all the all the uh stuff down the Walmart aisle not the I people. don't
1: know if I do it down Walmart, not the people, but you might want to go to like a real grocery store,
2: yeah, it's too far away, <laughs> and the people at Walmart don't care. The people at those other grocery stores might care and be like, um, sir, that's the oregano. Can you please put that back. I'm sniffing. I'm worried about beer. Leave me the fuck alone. (laughs) All right. Well, I think we did it, right? We're done at this point?
1: I think we did another one, yeah.
2: All right. Well, I'm going to play the song anyway, even though there's not three of us. Uh, That's fine. We'll play the song anyway. All right. We'll see you later, Chad. Later. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. We're the three
0: best friends that
2: anyone can have. And we're always gonna hang out.